Hello, you're listening to 15-Minute Medicine, where we try to make medicine as simple as possible, but not simpler than that. I'm one of your co-hosts, Efosa Ahamba, and I'm joined by my other co-host, Farai Chigimadze. Farai, how are you doing today? Hey, listeners, I'm doing well, thanks. And you, Efosa? I'm doing really great, thanks, Farai, especially after passing my primaries. I believe you also passed yours, so congrats to you. Thank you, Fosa. Yeah, I guess it's congratulations to both of us. Been a really tough time, but we made it out on the other side. But we're ready to get back into it. Both of us wrote surgically related primaries. I wrote neurosurge and I wrote FCS for surgery. And that also brings us to today's topic, which is a surgical related condition. What are we talking about, Farai? So today we're going to be discussing a case by Dr. Philip Yao, who's a general surgeon from Singapore. And he presented a case on an abdominal gunshot wound from this time when he was actually working at Chris Honey Barricade quite a few years ago. So let's have a listen. My, my name is Philip Yao. I'm a trauma surgeon uh, and military surgeon from Singapore. I did my training in, uh, in, in Johannesburg in South Africa, uh, which is where the story comes from. This, 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 this story is being told on the context that uh, we learn best when we learn from our own mistakes but second best when we learn from other people's mistakes so that uh, maybe you won't, you won't do the same things I did. So the patient is a 29-year-old uh, security guard who was shot twice. The physical examination showed that he had uh, bullet wounds, uh, two bullet wounds in the epigastrium and uh, two bullet wounds in the back near the right lumbar area. And he wasn't wearing a bulletproof vest. And they were low-velocity wounds, 9mm nine, nine nine rounds. So when he came into us, he had uh, physical examination, showed the bullet wounds, as well as uh, epigastrium momentum coming out of the uh, epigastric wound. So we knew we needed, we'd have to do a laparotomy. He was quite stable. He was talking. There was no signs of any uh, respiratory distress. His BP and his heart rate were pretty, pretty normal. Uh, chest x-ray showed that there was no pneumothorax and KUB x-rays showed that uh, there weren't any rounds, there weren't any bullets seen. So we suspected that the two front wounds were actually entrances and the two back wounds were were exit wounds and that the, the, the rounds, the, the, the bullets had left the body. So when we took him to theatre, we found that he had a hole in his liver which was bleeding quite impressively and uh, he had a hole in his transverse colon and his stomach which was also bleeding quite impressively. And uh, so what we did was that we, we, we packed the liver and that the liver bleeding stopped. Uh, the hole in the transverse colon was the interesting one. There was one hole on the anterior surface and one hole on the posterior surface. There was a hole in his lesser omentum uh, and there was a hole in his pancreas, which was moving sort of from... So you can tell the projectile was moving sort of from midline towards the right. So I managed to stop this bleeding and uh, cleaned out the abdomen from all the fecal contamination. I did a primary closure and I got out. I, I ended the operation. By the time the operation ended, the bleeding had been secured. About two days later, he starts going bad. He starts getting more and more septic. I was very convinced I hadn't missed any in, uh, hollow viscous injury. But after three days, he was clearly getting septic and going into organ failure. So I was obligated to open him up again. And what I found was that uh, I had missed an injury. Uh, the injury that I missed was on the second round, um, the, on the second bullet. It had gone through the transverse colon from the front to the back. 
It had gone through the, 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 the pancreas, but uh, I wasn't careful enough. The bullet continued to travel and actually had divided his duodenum. The duodenum had divided his duodenum, but it divided the retroperitoneal portion of his duodenum in the, the th- so-called third part of the duodenum. And what I should have done at the first operation was to actually what they call cockerize the duodenum. In other words, bring the entire duodenum forward all the way to the from the uh, to the IVC to the inferior vena cava. That's what I should have done. That's what a more careful surgeon would have done. Uh, that, that's what a more careful, less tired surgeon would have done. Uh, but this time I did find it, and we did a we did a gastrojejunostomy, and and he and he recovered pretty much, pretty much entirely. Um, but he did require a reoperation. He did have organ failure for about a week before his sepsis resolved. Uh, it did wind up with pie on my face. I didn't look like a very impressive surgeon after that. But the material th- lessons, I think, is one, uh, every round has to be followed. The, the pathway that a bullet takes has to be followed until it exits the body. I wasn't careful enough, and I didn't quite follow it until it exited the body. I followed it until it stopped being convenient. Then I stopped following it. So I missed an injury because it was inconvenient to remove, to, 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 divide, to, to bring the duodenum forward. The second rule is never be afraid to admit that you're wrong, that you've made a mistake. If the case is not doing well, you cannot be sure you've done everything right because the case determines, the patient determines everything. And I think, you know, I, I was lucky enough to, to admit that I was wrong and, and to go in and, and get it sorted out. So I think those are the two, two main lessons. So thank you again, Philip, for this case. I hope that somewhere out there in Singapore you're listening to this and that you can be assured that you're going to learn from your mistakes. So it's very important in evaluating and managing a patient with an abdominal gunshot wound is the first thing is you need to take a valid or a decent history. So the most important things you need to be cognizant of with the history is the patient's pre-hospital vital signs, the number of shots heard, because this can give you a clue as to what to look for or possible missed injuries. You want to look at the blood blood loss at the scene. This might be hard for you, but probably the EMS services will be able to do that and the position of the patient when shot, because this may provide clues to possible injuries. Like I said, some of these things you working in the hospital won't be able to know. So it's important that you can get your history from an available eyewitness or the emergency medical services. Then in general, you're looking for your signs and symptoms, which can also help you in deciding how you want to manage this patient. And most of this is revolving around signs of an abdominal injuries, obviously peritonitis, or if there's signs that are pointing to a great loss of blood. And then in general, with your history, you also want to just make sure of the important things, finding out if the patient has any allergies, any other medical, uh, medical history, and importantly, any other drugs that they're taking, for example, if a patient is on warfarin, because things like that may need to be reversed. Also, just to note on history, you'd also want to know the type of weapon used, because that also gives an indication of the energy used within the injury. So if it's a small handgun, like it was in the case of the patient in the case, that's a low energy missile. So it may just cause some shearing or tearing forces, but high energy rounds, such as that of an automatic rifle, they may cause severe injuries because they also have high energy and high forces. So they cause cavitation within the tissues. You also want to know the distance from which the shots were fired. So if it's close range, there's obviously more force involved. If it's a shotgun, 
it's a spray of bullets or pellets that injure the patient. So that you'd have to look at quite a wide range of injuries that may be accounted from that. And in regards to your clinical examination, it's also important, as Farai mentioned, if there's features of peritonism. So if a patient has an acute abdomen, that's already an indication for a laparotomy. If they have bowel evisceration, if they have hematemesis or gross blood and PR, those are all indications for a laparotomy. You'd also want to check the site of an anoma of exit and entry wounds if possible. You'd also want to trace the trajectory of the bullets to be able to predict potential injuries. Another just core features and key points for the initial management and resource of a patient. Obviously, if the patient is hemodynamically unstable, that's also another indication for immediate laparotomy. Obviously, you try to stabilize the patient as much as possible and then get them to theater. If they're hemodynamically stable, you may have time to perform more adjuncts such as x-ray imaging or CT scan or serial abdominal examinations, things like that. It's also important to apply principles of ATLS in this case. So when you're initially managing the patient, your primary survey, make sure they have a patent airway, adequate breathing and respiration. Circulation is very key in this point. You want to make sure they have adequate IV access with fluids running. If they've lost a lot of blood, you'd want to obviously transfuse the patients or provide blood products as soon as possible. In the process of setting up this, all of this, you take your FBC, arterial blood gas, um, UNE, clotting factors if needed in preparation if they're going to be taken to theater. Disability, if they have a low GCS from this acute trauma, you may consider intubation. If there's any other features of neurological deficit, because the gunshot wound to the abdomen may still injure the spinal cord. So it's important to take note of that and expose the patient fully to make sure you evaluate every single injury the patient may have. Can I add a some for your ABCDs? Starting with your breathing, you'd also want to look for symmetrical chest rise because if there isn't symmetrical chest rise, this can point to something such as a tension pneumothorax, which may be another cause or differential diagnosis for a patient being hemodynamically unstable. And in this case, you wouldn't need to take the patient for laparotomy. So with your circulation, you also want to make sure that you need to rule out a pericardial tamponade because this can also be a cause of hemodynamic instability. Like you also said, you take all of those bloods. In addition, you also want to take a type in the screen because most likely if a patient's going to theater, they're going to need blood. Now, moving on to definitive management, we obviously have two broad categories of management. We have surgical management and non-surgical management. The majority of patients will usually end up requiring surgical management. About 25% can still be managed non-surgically, provided they don't have any of the indications for immediate laparotomy or surgical management. And then on further investigations, of your, uh, such as your CT scan or FAST or abdominal, plain abdominal upright X-ray, you don't find features that are in other indications for laparotomy, such as pneumoperitoneum. So those are certain things that you obviously need to then take the patient to theater. With non-operative management, patients may benefit from serial abdominal examinations and clinical examinations just to ensure that they're not becoming more septic, they're not becoming peritonitic. And if that is the case, then they'd obviously 
require a laparotomy. So how often would you want to do your serial abdominal examinations of Warsaw? Yeah, so for I, you do serial abdominal examinations every four hours. So if you're on call, that'll be a, quite a busy night for you or your intern in that case. And when can we get rid of these patients? I mean, not get rid of, I mean, discharge the patients. Yeah, I know we all want to just uh, get rid of patients here, but don't, don't kill your patients for I. After 24 hours of observation, patients can be safely discharged. It's also important to still counsel them on danger signs before they, they go home. And then just to touch on surgical management, it's also important, as Philip mentioned, to trace every injury very thoroughly. But in some cases, patients may have a lot of severe injuries and a lot of life-threatening injuries, and they may be a role for dealing with the immediate life-threatening injuries and then packing the patient and then coming back to deal with the rest at a later stage once they're more, a bit more stable. Then in terms of management as well, there is a role in using antibiotics, but this, this is largely confirmed to when, you're, when, the patient requires, when the patient requires a laparotomy or laparoscopy. If you're having a non-surgical management, so if you're just observing the patient, there's no role for antibiotics. I think just to wrap up before, so let's go run through the algorithm for approaching a patient with an abdominal gunshot wound. So like we said, or like Afosa said very eloquently, you have your indications for immediate laparotomy of patients that are presented with abdominal gunshot wounds. So those are your hemodynamic instability, signs of peritonitis, evisceration, as well as hematemesis, or PR bleeding. So if the patient does, that, does have any of those, then that's an immediate indication for laparotomy. If not, then you go to the next thing. Can you get a reliable abdominal examination? And by this, I mean, is the patient intoxicated, intubated, or unresponsive? So if you are able to have a reliable abdominal examination, then you need to determine the presence and extent of internal injury. And by this, you can either do a laparotomy, laparoscopy, or any other um, investigation that the surgeon decides. And if the abdominal examination isn't reliable, and you've identified peritoneal penetration. Other investigations you could use that were mentioned earlier could be a FAST, a plain radiographs in two planes, AP and lateral, or you could also use a CT scan if your setting has that. Some settings don't, unfortunately, but if you are lucky enough to have a CT scan on site, that's another option. That's very important for, for management to foster is that if you don't have a CT scan available, or you don't have facilities to take a patient to theater, then you need to, as quickly as possible, transfer the patient. Because if you don't, if you delay for any other reason, this may have catastrophic consequences for the patient. You also mentioned the other two modalities for treatment. So ultrasound, you're fast. And here you're looking for any sign of fluid in the pericardium or in the peritoneum. This is very good for that but however, the FAST has its limitations in that you aren't able to see other injuries, such as a laceration into the liver or the kidney. And with your plain radiograph, as a force said, you need to make sure that you're not just getting an AP, but you're getting an AP and a lateral view. And also, yeah, just to mention with plain radiographs, you may determine pneumoperitoneum, but as far as that is concerned, you may not get any other information with regards to the extent of injuries within the peritoneal cavity. So there are limitations to that. 
CT scan is probably the best bet in terms of evaluating the, almost every injury possible with a great deal of detail. Now you've done these modalities and you see that there's no signs of peritoneal penetration. Like you first said, you may discharge the patient safely after 24 hours. If they're remaining hemodynamically stable, there's no other concerning signs or symptoms and there's no other significant injury. However, if there are signs of peritoneal penetration, then you're going to take the patient for laparotomy. For significant internal injuries that are not amenable to non-operative approaches or at the discretion of the surgeon. So again, this is very important to realize that at your hospital, if you know you're not able to, at the drop of a dime, take a patient for emergency surgery, or you're not able to get a follow-up CT scan, then this is when you can consider rather doing a laparotomy at an earlier stage. Then if you're not going for laparotomy, non-operative management with close observation, there's very few cases for this when peritoneal penetration has been identified and you need to observe the patient for a minimum period of 24 hours. And that brings us to the end of our episode on gunshot wounds to the abdomen. We hope to our listeners that you've learned a lot and that it's been very useful as a quick approach to managing patients with gunshot wounds to the abdomen. If you have any comments, questions, or any feedback you'd like to give us, we welcome that on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. You can also check out our website at 15minutemed.co.za and let us continue to make medicine as simple as possible. Not simpler than that.